a legend has left us as I'll commemorate the life of Celtic great Bill Russell. The trade deadline in baseball is tomorrow with one major player off the board. Will there be lots of activity between now and then as teams look to fortify their rosters with an eye on the postseason? Plus, all that's happening throughout the sport as I'll keep you up to date on the wild card and division races. Debo Samuel and DK Metcalf get paid, but will their production match their paychecks? Kyler Murray speaks up and the Arizona Cardinal front office listens. A new day, new week, and new month delivers a new podcast. Everything that's happening in the world of sports, I got you covered. It's all coming up, but first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You could also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December. But what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Rills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. It's the first of the month as we start to get into the dog days of August, but there are no dog days here as I'm on top of all that's going on in the sports world and I'm here to share my critiques, praise, and analysis as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back. Now that we turn the calendar, we're into August, we can start to see on the horizon College football toward the end of the month, even the U.S. Open when it comes to tennis for the five or six tennis fans that are out there. And then, obviously, with the exhibition season starting with the NFL, we'll start to get our sights set on another NFL season, which will take place the following month. And in fact, five weeks from this coming Thursday, we'll kick off the NFL season. So there's still plenty of time for that to dissect, digest, to get ourselves ready for another NFL season. But we do kind of see the sports world slowly but surely turning to the point where over the last, I would say, four weeks, it has been awfully quiet. Yes, we've had our moments with NBA free agency, the NHL, Wimbledon, and of course with the baseball. But for us right now to kind of zero in, and not that we want to rush time by any stretch of the imagination, people, but just to now set our sights on what lies ahead, we could finally start to see a little bit of some land there as we're out 
in the, I don't want to say sports world ocean, because when we get to September and then obviously October and so on, then we'll be at full capacity when it comes to what the sports world has to offer. But right now, as we're going through some choppy waters and as we're trying to just navigate our way through the summer, just through baseball being pretty much the only sport that's out there, but rest assured, the time will come when we'll go full tilt with the fall and winter sports, and then we're going to be juggling so many things in one podcast that I'll have everybody's heads and ears abuzz with what's happening in this sports universe. In the meantime, we still do have a few things that we could chew on, whether it's the UFC fight the other night with Amanda Nunez getting her revenge on Juliana Pena. I'll spend a couple minutes on that. I did not watch the bout. I did read about it. I know people are going to say, Jay Reels, how did you miss that? Nunez just dominated her opponent. She was able to finally exact that revenge from the loss that she had seven months ago. But, hey, guys, unfortunately, I did not tune in, and I at least I could report and tell you what it is that I could think post-match as opposed to watching it. So I'll share my two cents on that. As for the NFL, we all know that training camp is in full swing. A couple of interesting storylines when it comes to not only DK Metcalf, but also Debo Samuel, who both got paid wide receivers in the same division, and how both of their roles are always different, even going back to the last couple of years. But considering the amount of money that they got, $73 million for Samuel, 72 for Metcalf. Will there be plenty of production to go along with what's going to be in their paychecks? So that's an interesting angle that I'll dissect later on. Of course, all the baseball trade deadline is tomorrow, 3 p.m. With everything that happened there on Friday night with Seattle bringing in Luis Castillo from Cincinnati, will there be any other moves here? Of course there will be, but with the big guys, whether it be Juan Soto and Shohei Otani in particular, So I'll talk about that. Obviously, keep you up to date with what's happening with the latest division races as well as the wild card goes. But I'm going to start off with the passing, not only in retrospect, but also to celebrate the life of a one Bill Russell. Because whenever a sport not only loses a treasure, but also an icon and legend, and it doesn't matter which sport, whether it's an individual sport, Obviously a team sport, and for Bill Russell, the news come yesterday where he passes away at the age of 88 with his family in tow, and do I really need to break down the basketball life, let alone just his life in particular, when we talk about Bill Russell, because when we speak of a man who is the biggest winner in all of sports, American sports that is, winning 11 titles in 13 years, to go on top of the two titles that he won at college at the University of San Francisco and what he meant to a sport that I understand the younger generation, they're not going to be able to grasp the magnitude of this human being, not only just from a professional standpoint, but from a personal standpoint and what he did as far as civil rights goes. We know about the Ali Summit, 1967, the famous picture with he, Lou Alcindor, who of course everybody knows as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Jim Brown, and Muhammad Ali. And that was a gathering because with Muhammad Ali not wanting to sign up for the military, not want to be drafted to go to Vietnam, he was very staunch on that. And then to have these giants, these athletes, 
the aforementioned. Please, when you talk about Jim Brown, arguably he's the greatest football player alive. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or Lou Alcindor, we know what type of player he was and what he stood for throughout the course of his career. Obviously, Muhammad Ali, do I really even need to discuss him? And then, of course, we have Bill Russell, where I take the 30,000-foot view not only on his career but his life. And when you think about the impact that he had with not only being an athlete in Boston, and we know the reputation for that city when it comes to racism, the amount of championships that he won, not only just for the dynasty of the Celtics from the late 50s into the mid-60s, and knowing that he had to navigate that path of being a champion, but also at the same time being a citizen of a city that I'm sure reviled not only the people of his color, but also he as well. And even though he may have brought championships and a lot of joy and accolades, but you know that there was another side or a faction that was totally against what he did, what he stood for, even if it meant winning title after title after title. Of course, in his post-career, when he was able to become a broadcaster, we all know about the big laugh. We all know about his number six. We all know the defensive style of play, one that he would block shots and try to keep it inbounds or in play so he could have Bob Cousy go the other way on a fast break. We know that he wasn't a dominant offensive scorer as he only averaged a smidge over 15 points a game. But the defense, as well as the rebounding, is what separates him, as well as the championships, amongst the elite of that position where the center position during that time, from 50s, 60s, 70s, even into the 80s, was what the NBA knew. There were no such thing as three-point shooters. There was no such thing as the wing player. And yes, you did have later on Elgin Baylor, Julius Irving leading into Michael Jordan and then all the wing players after that. But the NBA was a center-driven league. Whether you go back to the days of Bob Pettit, George Mikan, Will Chamberlain, Bill Russell, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bob Lanier, all the big centers, Bill Walton. I could go down down the list. And even as we get into the 80s, whether your name was Patrick Ewing, Hakeem Olajuwon, David Robinson, that's what the league was during the first 50 years of its existence. And a lot of what the league had become plays in part to what Bill Russell had accomplished. And yes, when the younger fan looks at Bill Russell and they could see his bio and they could look at him as, oh, an all-time great player, but he is no... Shaquille O'Neal, or he has no throw in any player of the last 20 years. And yes, we could talk about what he did for humanity and what he did for the game as well. But because we're so far removed from his accomplishments and everything that he achieved in the league, that everybody becomes that prisoner of the moment, that they forget about the heroes past or the players that paved the way, not only just for the big man in the sport, but also the guard, the forward, wing player, three-point shooter, etc. 
And as you saw the outpouring of love from so many people, not only in the NBA, but just throughout sports, the impact that Bill Russell had, not only in his sport, but for society. And the human that he was, very mild-mannered, but also did have that big hearty laugh, as I mentioned, that a lot of people will always remember. And when I heard the news yesterday, I was actually surprised because although he'd been battling an illness, we didn't see him in June, ironically, where the season ended in Boston, where Golden State won their fourth title in the last eight years, and the trophy for the MVP of the series is named after Bill Russell, who usually presents the trophy to the MVP, and wasn't present there at the TD Garden. So battling that illness, not knowing the severity of what he was going through health-wise, and then, as we read yesterday, passing away at the age of 88, cause of his death unknown, and just a sad, but at the same time, a day to celebrate the life of a player, but more so the human being. And when we take a look at that career, and I know I mentioned the prowess defensively and also rebounding, this is a guy who averaged, averaged 22 and a half rebounds a game. And people could talk about who did he play against? All right, it was Will Chamberlain, Bob Pettit, George Mikan, those guys are bums. They couldn't even play in the NBA today. It's not what it's about. It's about who you play at that time. Because it's easy for us to even break down who other players and other generations played against. And we can't even match or compare these eras when people bring up, for example, how Draymond Green said the 2017 Warriors would just dispose of the 96 Bulls. It's an argument that for the first 20 or 30 seconds could be fun, but it's pointless. Because you cannot compare errors. And even though these young cats want to look at the players from the 50s and 60s as bums or plumbers or firemen or guys that there no way would have been able to play in this day and age in the NBA. Well, no, duh. I mean, that game was 60 years ago. It's totally different than what it is now between the travel, the nutrition, weight training, all that where these guys were flying commercial, some of them were even taking trains to other cities. And we know the nutrition level as far as supplements and food and things of that nature, you can't even compare the 50s and 60s to today. So when I hear the 25 or the 30-year-old and they'll say Bill Russell, oh yeah, he was great, but he was, he was no this guy or he couldn't play in this era or whatever, It's just mindless to even bring that up. And to think that here we are over the last couple of years where the Celtics, just them alone, and think about this, Tommy Heinsohn, Sam Jones, Casey Jones, John Havlicek, players from that era that built the Celtic brand. And there's still a few left Whether your name is Tom Sanders, a.k.a. Satch, Bob Cousy, later on Don Nelson, he became part of the later 
era. In fact, the last year of the Russell era was one in that 68-69 season. The famous shot by Nelson that hit off the back part of the rim straight up in the air and then right through the hoop. That was a Celtic team that a lot of people thought the Lakers were finally going to win a championship against a Russell-led team who was, of course, the coach at that time. I even mentioned that. Thoughts, prayers, condolences go out to the Russell family again. Not only just an icon and a legend, but an American treasure. And one that will be sorely missed. All right, now let's turn our attention to the modern day and what's going on, especially in baseball, as the trade deadline tomorrow, 3 o'clock. And I wonder what is going to come into play here when I think about not only just the big names, because personally, I'd be surprised. I won't say shocked. I'd be surprised if Juan Soto and or Shohei Otani get moved here. Because anytime you're dealing with whether a former MVP or a player of Soto Zilk who still has two more years left on his contract, Otani has one more after this year. And generally when you're going to move that type of player, not only is it going to bring a lot back, but generally that blockbuster type of deal doesn't get made until the offseason. I understand that with Soto in particular, if a team were to trade for him come tomorrow, that they would, in essence, have three playoff runs because you'll have these two months here for the rest of this season and then 2023, 2024 before they sign him. Or who knows, if it's a team that happens to roll the dice and let's say has a killer second half and even a killer 2023, that maybe would they unload him to bring back more capita for their team? That's an argument that is plausible, but I don't think either one of these two players are going to be moved between now and 3 o'clock. And depending on when you listen to this, because if you listen to this after the trade deadline, who knows, but... My thing is, what we saw on Friday, Luis Castillo, and we thought that maybe that could have been the first domino for a player that was highly coveted by a lot of other teams, including the Yankees, the Dodgers, I'm sure the Astros had some talks with Cincinnati, and what Seattle gave up for Castillo was a shortstop by the name of Noel V. Marte. He was the highlight of the package to go along with a couple of other prospects and I believe a major league ready player and it's interesting because then Castillo is going to pitch Wednesday afternoon at Yankee Stadium where just last month he threw seven innings of no run two hit ball so the Yankees will get to see Castillo again and hopefully he doesn't torment them the way he did about three weeks ago but even with that trade and it made me think could this be a trade deadline to remember Now, we're not going to know. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of little trades here today. Some relief pitchers, maybe a third or fourth starter that's going to go to a team that's looking to maybe elevate him to a two or three and make that push throughout the regular season to get into a postseason to, as we know, it's all a crapshoot. So I don't know or could detect what type of player is going to be moved here. I'm sure... You're going to get some reinforcements, whether it's in L.A. with the Dodgers. I'm sure the Yankees are going to bring in a relief pitcher or maybe that starter, as we talked about. The Mets already have made a couple of moves with Tyler Naquin, who contributed yesterday in a game against the Marlins. An outfielder who is a scrappy player, 
a guy that's bounced around here a little bit, formerly not only of the Reds, but the Cleveland Indians at the time. Now, of course, they're the Guardians. And I'm sure there's going to be a couple other moves that'll, that'll be made. But as far as the big move, and I get it, that those are two big fish in Soto and Otani. I don't know if those guys and what the package would be like considering their prominence in the sport. If I'm Washington, why would I even think to unload this player when he still has two and a half years of control? And if anything, I'm sure you'll get a sweeter and better deal this coming offseason, despite his numbers being down, especially with the batting average. And his power numbers are okay, but you know he still has a world of talent. He's 23 years old. Uh, The guy has his whole career in front of him. And Otani, pretty much the same deal, where he has another year left. I could see he was going to be a free agent a la Manny Machado when he got traded because a lot of people would think, well, Machado got traded to L.A. from Baltimore. And off the top of my head, can you even think about what the Dodgers sent to Baltimore in that trade? Only because he was a free agent, that's why that deal was made because they did not want him to play out his contract and then get nothing for him in return. The situation with Soto and Otani, quite opposite. So I expect some activity. I don't think this is going to be a dormant trade deadline. As it always is, you're going to see these little moves pop up from here until 3 o'clock, and especially once you get to the deadline. But as far as anything that's going to be earth-shattering, I can't see it. And if something like that does come down the pike, be sure to check out my... TikTok and Instagram feeds, the J Reels podcast. I will certainly chime in on my thoughts if any such deal is made between now and then. Now, as we get to the now final couple of months, and I know that the season will end that first week of October because they had to extend the regular season due to the lockout at the start of the year. So the Season will end, off the top of my head, I think it's October the 5th, which is a Wednesday, and then you have the wild card round start that weekend, that Friday. But as we look at the division and wild card races, you only have three division races. That's the NL East with the Mets and Braves, and I'll get to them in a second, and both the AL and NL Central, which should be tooth and nail from here on out. Same for the NL East But that's going to maybe take a turn here, especially starting as early as this Thursday. And like I mentioned, I'll break that down in a moment. The other divisions you can forget about, AL West, NL West, as the Astros and Dodgers will cruise. And then, of course, the Yankees in the AL East will pretty much do the same. And then you have the wild card scenario, which I'll start there and then work my way backwards with the division because the wild card had... A little bit of a twist over the weekend, especially in the National League, because as I talked about over the last couple of pods, the wild card in the National League looked like it was going to be possibly four teams for one spot. And right now, you pretty much divided that, I would say, three teams for the one spot. Unless you include the Giants, who did have a pretty good weekend and bounced back as they got themselves to 500, beating the Cubs. But with the Marlins now slipping as they're nine and a half back, well, I take that back, that's Colorado. The Marlins are eight back in the wild card, so I think you could say goodbye to them. They had a bad week, got swept by the Mets over the weekend, which pretty much put them out of their misery for 2022. 
But with the Padres, I won't include the Braves right now because they have a huge lead. They're currently five games ahead of the Padres for the first wild card. And the Padres meaning that they would have home field. But with the Padres and Phillies separated by a game and a half, one in the loss if you're the Padres, and then you have the Cardinals who are one game back of the Phillies. I know you have to put the Giants in there now that they're back at 500 and they are three back of the Cardinals for second place and four behind the Phillies. So even if you're looking at those four teams, I think the Giants, unless they make a move here at the deadline, and would you be shocked if they do? Absolutely not, because they're going to want to have some meaningful games into the month of September as well as this month. And the Giants trying to at least save some face from last year's 107-win season, which, as we saw, fizzled out in the division series against the Dodgers. So I think they'll be in play. But with the way the Giants' season has gone, I could see as we get deeper into August and September, if they don't get any type of reinforcements here, I could see them fading out. And it's going to be a three-team race for that one spot in the National League wildcard. Because like I mentioned, two and a half games do separate San Diego, Philadelphia, and St. Louis. And St. Louis does have a shot in the division as they're three games behind the Brewers, which I'll get to in a minute. But you have to realistically look at the Giants, even though they are still a fringe playoff team, but I think they're going to fade here slowly but surely. And it's going to be a battle between who gets those final two spots in the National League, which will bank on those three teams. In the American League, Toronto has played well. They've actually stretched their lead in the wild card for the first spot to three games over the Rays. The Mariners are sandwiched in between. Mariners actually didn't have a good weekend in Houston as they lost three out of four, and they also lost Julio Rodriguez to the IL. He got hit on the hand by a pitch from Rafael Montero, and although the X-rays came out negative and he will return, but the Yankee fans, they will not be able to see him this week as the Mariners are in town to play the Yankees. Even though he was here early this year at City Field where he hit a home run, and that was actually Seattle in their first trip to New York this year, was the first series loss that the Mets endured this season. So you're not going to have the young, up-and-coming superstar and I would think surefire winner of the AL Rookie of the Year. But you will see Luis Castillo there on Wednesday afternoon pitch against the Yankees, as I mentioned earlier. But the Mariners sandwiched in between the Blue Jays and Rays. And then after that, not much of a drop-off. You still have four teams that are in the mix, whether you're the Cleveland Guardians, a game and a half behind the Rays, the White Sox, who have played a little bit better here, as they're a game over 500, two and a half back. The Orioles, not a good weekend, as they lost two out of three to the Reds, three back, and then the Red Sox, a game under, three and a half back. A little bit of drama there, although the bottom rung of those teams, Red Sox have not played well. Orioles, yes, they did win three out of four against the Rays, but they didn't follow that up with a series win in Cincinnati. Not to say that's going to plant some seeds of doubt in your head if you're an an Oriole fan or a baseball fan overall, but definitely not a good look. And then the White Sox, who knows? Could this be the moment where they turn their season around and maybe put themselves in the wild card mix or maybe even the division? As I mentioned, they're one of the three divisions that are in play. And then, of course, you have the Guardians, too, who are also in pursuit for the American League Central. American League, a little bit more interesting. I get it that the teams aren't as sexy. Yes, you may look at the White Sox team 
or a Guardian team considering they have good pitching and the manager. White Sox have underachieved big time, but we've seen them in the postseason the last couple of years. The Red Sox are the Red Sox, but who knows if they're going to sell or be a team that does sell between now and tomorrow. And the Orioles, what will they do? A lot of talk about maybe them possibly buying and trying to go for it in an American League, but who knows? They may be sellers as well because there have also been rumors about Trey Mancini maybe packing his bags and going to another team. But for Toronto, who have finally turned their season around a little bit, as remember, they fired their manager a couple of weeks back, and maybe that was the panacea to a lot of their midseason ills. We'll see how that shakes down throughout the course of the last couple of months. Seattle, you think, will be there in the mix, especially now bringing in Castillo to go along with Robbie Ray and Logan Gilbert at the top of their rotation. And then Tampa, let's see what they do. Tampa, we all know how resourceful they are, and who knows if they're going to bring in another piece, whether it's a bat. I think they need a bat in the worst way because Juan DeFranco is underachieved. They haven't really had the performances going back to the last couple of years. Kevin Kiermeyer, their center fielder, is out for the rest of the season. And also another player is out. So maybe the Rays have a sneaky, under-the-radar type of trade up their sleeve. That remains to be seen. But the wildcard races, more so in the American League, a little bit of juice. National League, not as much. So we'll see what takes into shape there as we are now in the month of August. And as far as the division standings go, Central, that's going to be a rock fight to the end because the Twins, can you really trust them? Despite the fact that they've been in first place pretty much from the start, they hold a one-game advantage over the Guardians as they made up a lot of these games because if you remember, there were about four games in hand with the Twins and now that they're pretty much even with games played, as I take a look, do my math here, 53 and 48, that is what, 101 and 52 and 49 is the same. So yes, they're just a game back in the division with the White Sox being just two back and all three teams have played 101 games. I'd have to see what their schedule looks like for the upcoming week if they play one another. So I'll take a look at that in a minute. The NL Central has the Brewers with a three-game margin over the Cardinals and you would think that that's also going to come down to the wire between those two teams. The good thing about the AL and NL Central teams is that they do have a safety net with the wild card. So it's pretty much not boom or bust when it comes to if they're going to make the playoffs, they have to win by division. No, they could also go in by way of the wild card. So for those teams and for those fans of those cities, at least you have that to hang your hat on. But I'm sure you'd rather win a division. You want to be able to host a first round playoff series as opposed to having to go on the road. Because remember, the wild card round, three games, but no home games. All those games are going to be played in the opposing ballpark. So that's something to keep in mind there. And in the National League East, the Mets and Braves, three games. Mets have won six in a row. We talked about what they did against the Yankees. They had a day off, and then they swept the Marlins here over the weekend in Miami, as I mentioned earlier. The Braves pretty much doing the same to the Diamondbacks. Now the Braves host the Phillies for three games while the Mets go to Washington. And the Mets will have... Not only Max Scherzer tonight, but the season debut of Jacob DeGrom tomorrow. And all I'll say is this. If DeGrom could be healthy, and I'm not saying he's going to pitch lights out. I'm not saying that he's going to go in tomorrow night, seven innings, 
chances are he's probably going to throw, as I mentioned in the last podcast, no more than 80 pitches. I'm sure his limit is probably going to be anywhere between 70 to 80. So if he goes five innings and he throws 75 pitches, fantastic. And let's see if the bullpen could bail him out. But now with DeGrom back in the mix and with Scherzer, let's see if this team could separate themselves from the Braves because come Thursday is the first of five games at City Field, a doubleheader on Saturday. You'll see Scherzer in one of the two games Saturday, probably the night game, and then DeGrom on Sunday, which off the top of my head I think would be a Sunday night game. I mean, don't you think, ESPN? So with their pitching staff intact, and DeGrom, I must say, I got to hold my breath and cross my fingers with him because – I don't know how sound that shoulder is going to be, and you know he's going to air it out. I'm sure he's going to slowly but surely ease his way in and maybe not go full max, but I don't know. With the injury history that he's had here over the last couple of years, I'm a little nervous because in order for this Met team to win a World Series, they need the Grom there because Scherzer, the Grom at the top, in a short series, whether it's the division series or even an LCS, which is obviously seven games. And for both of those guys, if they win their starts in an LCS or World Series, they're World Series champions. And without the ground there, I tell you, it's going to be a tall order, regardless whether he's there or not, but even more so if the Grom isn't going to be towing the rubber come October. And that's where I worry as a Met fan because it's been a long journey back. His last start in the major leagues was July 7th of last year. And now, come tomorrow night, he's going to be able to pitch for the first time since then. And yes, I'm sure it's going to be all coconuts and palm trees come 10 o'clock tomorrow night. Fingers crossed. But as he airs it out, as he starts to extend himself and... I don't know what DeGrom to expect, to be honest with you. I'm not expecting five innings, three hits, eight strikeouts. Not to say I'm expecting him to get lit up. And he's going against the Nationals. It's not as if he's going up against the Braves as he will this coming Sunday. But, again, I'm sure I could say this for a lot of Met fans. As excited as you are, as pumped up, etc. I'm sure, not even in the back of your mind, But at the very front of it, I'm sure you're thinking, please let him be healthy from now until the end of October. Or really into November because the end of October on the 30th starts the World Series. So get us to, let's say, November 7th. How about that? And let's see what happens. I'll talk more about Braves-Mets on Thursday. And your schedule this week, at least for the opening part of the week. Not a lot there. Yes, we could talk about Seattle at New York, which would be an interesting test. It's the first time they've met all year, and it's sad that we're not going to see Julio Rodriguez, but with the way the Yankees have played as they bounce back, tough loss yesterday as Salvador Perez took him deep. Clay Holmes in the ninth inning where the Yankees were looking for a sweep, and Aaron Judge, as I mentioned on my TikTok feed, Just give him the AL MVP trophy. And even a couple of people were at me on that to think that, oh, he's hit all these home runs, but it's not a guarantee. What about Otani? And mentioning a couple other players. Judge, by far, 
is your MVP of the American League. And you could almost even put to rest that if he didn't play for the rest of the year, he would still be the MVP of the league. Of course, that wouldn't happen. They would give it to somebody else because you can't miss two months of the season and then be awarded an MVP. But that's the type of year judges had. Leading in home runs, RBIs, he's first in all the categories in the American League. How's he not deserving of winning the award? So you have that, but Seattle, New York is pretty much the only series. Yes, Philly and Atlanta, although the Phillies did win two out of three against the Braves last week, but Atlanta seems to always have their way against Philadelphia. But we'll definitely keep an eye on that. And Philly has played well here. They've won five in a row, but they haven't gained any ground. They're still nine and a half back of the Mets. Six and a half or six behind, yes, as a matter of fact, six and a half behind the Braves. And we talked about where they are on the wild card, but you would think with their little winning streak here, maybe they've inched closer in the National League East. By far, that hasn't been the case because of the way the Mets and Braves have played. And with the AL Central teams, eh, Detroit at Minnesota, Arizona's at Cleveland, and then Kansas City at Chicago. So you would think that those teams should take care of those opponents, but We'll keep an eye on that as we get to the next podcast on Thursday. The Dodgers are in San Francisco. Not to say this is the last stand, but like I mentioned earlier, the Giants, they have to play better. They did so over the weekend against the Cubs. But now with the Dodgers coming to town, and of course they've been hot, Dodgers took care of them out of the break with a four-game sweep in L.A. Let's see if they can continue their winning ways against the Giants as they look to try to get themselves closer in the NL wildcard, as we discussed earlier. But other than that, that's what you have here for this early part of the week. And a couple other things. Freddie Peralta is going to come back to the Brewer rotation, which is huge for Milwaukee and is going to help them big time to go along with Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns. So with Peralta back at the top part of that rotation, maybe there'll be some separation. I don't know when he's scheduled to pitch. Let me take a look here. I don't think he's scheduled to pitch over the course of these next few days. Taking a look at the schedule here. Maybe he'll pitch by the end of the week, but that's going to be a huge addition, almost like a trade that was made by the Brewers. So we'll get to see Freddie Peralta in that rotation soon enough. And actually, there was one series that I did miss, which is pretty big this week, is the Blue Jays going to Tampa to face off against the Rays. And I don't know if that's a three-game series or a four-game series. Well, it looks like a three-game series because the Wednesday game is a getaway day game, 12-10. So that's going to be one to keep an eye on to see how the Rays fare against the Blue Jay team who has played very well and mentioned how they have the top seed in the American League wild card. So we'll definitely pay attention to that. But as far as baseball, that's all I have there. To turn our attention to the NFL, as camps are in full swing, I think you'll have exhibition games as early as Thursday, which would be the Hall of Fame game. And then over the weekend, we'll have the Hall of Fame ceremonies, the inductions. I couldn't even tell you the players off the top of my head. And I know that there aren't great players that are going to be anointed or enshrined in Canton. And these guys were very good players and may have had great moments when they played. Whether your name is Richard Seymour or Leroy Butler, the safety from Green Bay. But are these guys immortal players? Are these guys dominant First ballot, that once you roll the name off of your tongue, that, oh yeah, automatic Hall of Famer? Sorry, I think not. And that's no offense to what they did in the sport and what they did in their careers and their tenures in the NFL, but it's not an insult to say that these guys are not Hall of Famers. It's not. 
So we have that to look forward to, but when it comes to contracts and what we saw here over the last three days or so where the wide receiver position got paid, whether your name was DK Metcalf of the Seahawks and Debo Samuel of the Niners, and we know Samuel seemed like it had a little impasse going back a few months ago where you had a lot of those guys, the Terry McLaurins of the world, obviously Samuel. There was another receiver that I'm missing off the top of my head who got paid. I don't think it was Stephon Diggs. But you had guys that were looking to get paid, and Samuel's a guy that, for everything that he has done with the Niners and how versatile he is being that Swiss Army knife, it begged the question between he and Metcalf as to what kind of performance you're going to get especially when they're making three years and $73 million. And I believe in Metcalf's case, it's three for 72. 58 million of that guaranteed for Samuel. And how I look at it is this. I see Samuel being more of the productive player, not to say he's a better player. And we know that the Niner offense is different from the Seahawks offense. But here's where Samuel will flourish more, which also means he could be prone to injury, and that could be said for any player in the sport. I get that. But when you run Debo Samuel out of the backfield, when you run him on those bubble screens, those wide receiver screens, also that guy on third and seven in the slot who's going to catch that slant for eight yards for a first down late in the game, that's where Samuel is going to make his money. That's where Samuel is going to be more valuable. And even with Trey Lance as the quarterback, Where Lance is going to scramble, I'm sure he's going to extend plays and get first downs in his own right. And that's a big question mark with Lance because he is a bit of an unknown. We haven't seen a lot of him. The small sample size that we got, eh, can't really write home about that. But just knowing his profile, Samuel is going to be a lot broad and a bit more expansive in the offense than I think DK Metcalf will. And even though it's a toss-up, because we don't know what Lance is going to be, but I think Samuel, with his versatility, is going to catch a lot more passes, is going to run a lot out of the backfield, is going to be a lot more involved, and will justify his paycheck more so than DK Metcalf will, because Metcalf, we know the freak athlete that he is, no body fat on him, chiseled like a Greek god, plays a wide-out position, physical receiver, etc. But when Geno Smith is your quarterback, and no knock on Geno, but it's going to be a situation where they're going to double-team Metcalf, and yes, you have Tyler Lockett on the other side, but the way he's going to be employed, unless all of a sudden they're going to shift their offense to where Metcalf is going to be on those bubble screens, or he's not going to be in the backfield as a decoy or on any draw plays or anything like that. So to know that Metcalf is going to be wide out and with a safety over the top and cover two, how he's probably going to be a guy that defensive coordinators are going to key on and certainly going to try to take him out of the game. And we could see that the numbers for Metcalf aren't going to match up to the amount that he's going to make this year. And of course, it's no fault on him or even the system. But when you don't have a big-time quarterback there or a guy that's going to get you the ball on a consistent basis, and we know that Geno Smith has bounced around here, 
And that's not to say he doesn't have any ability or is not going to be able to get the ball thrown to him. But Russell Wilson isn't there anymore. He's not walking through that door. Or a good young quarterback that's going to have that camaraderie, it's going to have that chemistry. And it's not to say Geno Smith isn't working on that as we speak. But again, he is not a guy that is going to be a big-time quarterback that you know on 3rd and 11, he's going to get that ball to DK Metcalf Time in, time out, that they're just going to dominate a game or dominate a stretch of games where you could think that, oh, Metcalf is going to have a first-team all-pro type of year. I think Samuel's going to flourish more in his system than Metcalf will. And I know Debo's a hybrid player, and we understand that. But for the sake of this argument, It's a matter of the type of production you're going to get from the player and what we've seen in Metcalf from the past and now what we're going to see here in the immediate future. And yes, you could pretty much say the same for Debo because you don't know how Trey Lance is going to perform here, but we know that they are going to employ him in different sets and is going to be more productive, I think, than Metcalf. But at the same time, Samuel's going to be more prone to injury based on the amount of reps he's going to get and the amount of touches he's going to get more so than Metcalf. So you do have that distinction there because Samuel's going to be more involved as Metcalf, but Metcalf may be the healthier player as you get toward the middle and deeper into the season. So we shall see. Two other quickies. Kyler Murray speaks and the front office listens. As I talked about last week, the whole mandate four hours of independent study or film study, whatever you want to call it. That clause was taken out by the front office. And yes, you could say, well, Jay Reels, he did sign it. So if he knew that it was in the contract, then he could have said something there. Well, when you're getting $230 million, you roll your eyes. You say, really, is this what it's going to be about? All right, well, I'm getting my money. I don't care. But he did speak up at his press conference and understandably, rightfully so, And you saw that the front office took action. So kudos to them because that was just a silly clause. There was no way that should have been in there. Questioning the work ethic and questioning whether or not he's getting enough film study. Yes, we saw him fizzle down the stretch. Yes, he imploded in that playoff game against the Rams. But I would think with all the chatter that was said about him and even pulling himself from that playoff game, with all that was said about him, I'm sure he's going to want to prove his worth and then some this upcoming year. So We'll definitely take a look at that once the season begins. And then, as expected today, and you definitely want to peep my TikTok and Instagram accounts, again, the J Reels podcast, a ruling should come down today on whether or not Deshaun Watson gets a suspension. And even some of the things that I've heard that he may not even get suspended is preposterous. And maybe a suspension could be a half a season. Forget about a whole season. If the NFL wants to make a statement, and I understand that he wasn't criminally charged, and even as was reported yesterday that he settled three other civil suits as early as this past week. He's got to get a year minimum. And if he wants to appeal, he has every right to do that. But for Roger Goodell... And this wild goose chase over the last 16, 17, 18 months to now finally come to a resolution 
in which this should have been a lot swifter, and I get it that they had to do their investigation and due diligence and flip over every stone and understood, but it shouldn't have taken this long. And we know Roger Goodell and company, they are a PR disaster. But let me tell you, if they don't get this right, that disaster is going to be a full-blown calamity because there's going to be an outcry from people, the American public alone, but also, I'm sure, other sports where they're going to look at that and say, how does this guy only get eight games, six games, four games, whatever it is? It'd be a disgrace. And I get it. He has not been charged for any of these accounts on a criminal level. But just knowing the Times report, the 66 women, and I understand some of them were complicit and some of them said, hey, I had affairs with the guy or whatever. Okay, fine. But knowing that he had to pay off in upwards of 27 different women to say, all right, my bad, here you go, and they have to deal with that trauma, And all he's going to get, for all intents and purposes, is a slap on the wrist? Give me a break. But we'll see. We'll see how it shakes down. And you definitely want to check out my social media accounts because I will definitely tune in on that once the ruling comes down. And then finally, UFC had a big bout the other night. I know I didn't watch it. And people could say, Jay Reels, how could you report it if you didn't watch it? Well, listen, I can't keep my fingers on the pulse on everything that's going on. I know I mentioned this even on Thursday's podcast, but I had a long day Saturday. By the time I got in, I knew that the fight was on, but I was just too exhausted. And I'm sure it probably started sometime after midnight. But for Amanda Nunez to recapture the women's bantamweight title from Juliana Pena, who beat her seven months prior as she gets her revenge. And it was a unanimous decision And I also even saw how she had that knot over her right eye, I believe it was. You saw that in the post-fight match. And just to think, even though she got her pound of flesh, no pun intended, but man, that is a tough way to make a living, I tell you. But kudos to them. They have more guts than I do. And Nunez, we know that she's a giant in her sport. And for her, I'm sure she was just salivating at this opportunity. Those seven months probably felt like seven years for her, knowing that she had to overcome a lot mentally, psychologically, even spiritually for that matter, that she had to sit on this and know that her opponent had the bragging rights that had the best of her that one night. And here it was, she was able to bounce back in a big way and congratulations to her. So who knows if they're going to have another go at it somewhere down the road. I don't know if this was their second bout. I don't even know if this was their third bout. But I would think, based on what has taken place here over the past six, seven months, I could see them getting back in the ring somewhere down the road. I'm sure not immediate, but I think it would probably be good for the sport if these two fighters were to square off in an octagon sometime, maybe by the end of the year or even as early as next year. I'm sure it would be good for it. And at the same time, if that does happen... Rest assured, here on August 1st, I will tune in to watch that. And that'll do it. Another episode just about in the books. But as I always say upon conclusion, 
to you guys and gals who listen to what it is that I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports, I thank you for stopping by. I thank you for trusting in me as a source to share my thoughts, opinions, analysis, critiques, etc. on what's going on in this sports landscape. And it is not taken for granted your participation wherever you may be on this planet. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, review this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts. Throw me a few stars, write a review just to increase the visibility. I'm working behind the scenes, people, as much as I can. As you know, I'm an independent entity. I don't have a team. I don't have a staff where they could reach out to various guests or advertising, marketing, etc. So for those who do listen, and if you like what you hear, and please keep coming back, subscribe, rate, review. I would sincerely appreciate that. And as I mentioned with my social media accounts, if you want to hit me up with any questions, comments, criticism, praise, or suggestions, you could do so. TikTok, the J Reels Podcast, Instagram, J Reels, or the J Reels Podcast, Twitter, J Reels One, just a number, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page, and the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Whatever you want to send me, please, I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals. And then lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page. That's P is in Paul, A T is in Tom, R E O N is in Nancy, dot com slash the J Reels Podcast. Whatever you want to put forth, I will sincerely and gratefully appreciate your contribution because what that will do will go 100% to the production of this podcast, to the experience from me in front of this microphone, to your earbuds or speakers, on the upkeep of the website, equipment, production, anything that entails what goes on to make this experience one that you've enjoyed and that you'll come back for many, many more because I'm not going anywhere, people. This is what I love to do. It's in the blood, in the DNA, passion, fire, hot takes, opinions, analysis, critiques, praise on anything and everything that goes on in the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. The South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. Until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.